0: Coming soon from Arkville Press. This is the story of the Last City. It has outlived the world that it was born into, and it has outlived all its siblings. This is the story of the Last City, a ruin built on ruins, where death is a luxury few can afford. This is the story of the Last City, of those who wander within and those who are crushed by its weight. This is the story of the last city, and this is how it died. The Tower Through the Trees by Sean Dillon, coming March 29th.
1: Almost 30% of the people that voted in the black licorice um, poll that, uh, ha- like 30% of them were freaks that like black licorice. Not that I'm not saying I'm not a freak that likes black licorice, too. I'm just saying I was surprised almost
0: 30% of them were. Look, man, I think black, if you get, look, black licorice, you know, I'm not, I'll say it on the show. I'm going to say it on the show. You're going to get my licorice take. Yeah, give, give me your licorice take. I'm going to give you my licorice take, but I'm going to give it on the show. I want, I want, I want recorded documentation. It's recording. We'll put it in there. We'll leave it in there. Okay. So my, my licorice take is there are, if you just want to do the traditional red and black licorice. Yes. Red licorice is bad because most of the time red licorice doesn't taste like anything. Ah, interesting. Now, now if and, I, and I'm speaking like if you're just buying like if you're buying Twizzlers, Twizzlers don't taste like anything. I don't care what you tell me. I'm not going to say Red Vines are any better because I don't think they taste like anything either. But if you go if you go off the beaten path and get like art, I'll say artisanal but like there like here there's like Lancaster Farms, I think is what it is, and they do they do black licorice, they do red licorice and they do like cherry or strawberry. Um they also do like mango licorice and green apple licorice and a bunch of flavor combinations of licorice. And it's actually delicious. Um, you know, black licorice gets a bad rap because of Jägermeister. But if you've ever had a really good Sambuca, you know what good black licorice tastes like. I don't think I've ever had a good Sambuca. I don't even know what Sambuca is. It's, uh, it's for, for, like, I come from a family of Italian immigrants and I tried Sambuca <laughs> way too early, um, but they w- took pride in the Sambuca that they would have. Like they, they took, they, I think my grandfather on my mother's side was a very, he, w- he was like, he was like the insufferable Sambuca drinker that was like the, uh, the IPA guy that tells you that whatever IPA you get on the shelf is bad, but if you have, if you go, if you go, 100 miles outside of your driving radius to go to this brewery that doesn't distribute anywhere and you get that IPA, that's the good one. Like, you, 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 Grandpa Jack was that guy when it came to Sambuco. Gotcha.
1: All I know is I learned to like black licorice because of Good and Plenty, and now I don't mind the taste of
0: it. That's fair. Like, I think Good and Plenty is bad.
1: That's just me
0: though. That's fair. I don't think I'm, it's I'm, great. I'm, I'm just saying I'm, that's how I don't like the Taste of Black Licorice. Like there used to be there used to be gum. I think it was called Blackjack. That was Black Licorice. No, that's an anime. No, 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 no. no. The, 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 in the 80s. This is, you know, you know before before Jesse time. Actually, were you born in the
1: 80s? No, but also I think the anime might be from the 80s. Look.
0: Fair Blackjack.
1: No, no, 96. But the manga that's from <laughs> 70s.
0: The manga. <sighs> <sighs> I guess we should get started. Started with what? I'm enjoying this conversation. No, I'm kidding. I mean, we're leaving <laughs>
1: it in. Oh, and welcome back to Free Reeling. I almost said White Comics. That's the wrong podcast. Uh, I am one of your yeah. hosts, Jesse, and with me today is your other host, Matthew. Say hi, yeah. Matthew. Hello. I like black licorice, and I am not afraid to admit it. And there's no need to be afraid, especially with a movie like this that has the terror of black lippers all over it. Um, today, we're talking about the 1963 movie High and Low, directed by Kara Kurosawa, whose birthday is today, the, the day that we're recording this, of course.
0: Yes. Um,
1: he would have been, I think, they, 114? 100? No. Uh, he was born 112.
0: in 1910. 112. 112. So That
1: would have been a long life. Yes. Is this the yes. second Kurosawa film that we're covering on this?
0: I believe so.
1: Because <sighs> we covered... Uh, um, what was the um, other we covered? I know we did, we
0: did Throne of Blood before. Throne of Blood.
1: But we didn't, we didn't yes. cover Yojimbo. We just talked about Yojimbo. No, we talked
0: about... about you. We, we mentioned Yojimbo and Rashomon and Seven Samurai multiple times. And Stray Dogs. Uh, and Stray mentioned, dog. I mentioned it. Yeah. Uh, I still need to watch Seven Samurai. I just haven't sat down and watched three hours. Yeah. Seven Seven Samurai is... Uh, you have to set aside some time. Um. But yeah, we're going to talk about High and Low, a movie that's not three hours, but
1: two, two two and a half around there. Yeah, two and a half. Um, this movie's great. The movie's fantastic.
0: Let's get this off the
1: bat. Me and uh, Matthew here are not going to uh, sugarcoat that we think this movie's fantastic.
0: No, this movie's fucking
1: dope. <laughs> like...
0: uh, I think you said this is maybe your favorite Kurosawa movie? Um, you know, there are this and Ikiru I I mean I know Ikiru uh, when we did our very first released thing when we talked about our ten favorite movies, Ikiru is on that list. But honestly, I could switch Ikiru and High and Low out without much friction. Um, this is one of the this is one of those movies that when I was when I was getting into like the, like honestly a lot of my foreign film watching came from just browsing the Criterion Collection in the late uh, or in the early 2000s, like 2002, 2000, 2003. Yeah. And um, that was where I, like, I had heard of the Seven Samurai prior to that. I had heard of, uh, I believe I had heard. So I get confused. Sanjuro and Yojimbo. Yojimbo is the one based on, or Yojimbo is the one that Fistful of Dollars and Last Man Standing are based on. I think so. Correct? I believe so. Okay. So uh, if Cassandra's if I'm wrong, second one okay I believe it's Yojimbo then I I got into I I, I had heard of Seven Samurai and Yojimbo prior to getting into the Criterion collection just because of movies I had watched that you know had made mention of it uh, or like people talking about movies I had seen would make mention of it and then when I saw that the Seven Samurai was like available to me I I went and I went and uh, I I believe I rented it sat down watched it i'm like whoa that was really cool and then i tried to find whatever i could by kurosawa now i was the you know kid who watched a lot of 70s kung fu movies and walked into seven samurai expecting that Mm -hmm. um when i got something different uh i was i was taken aback and completely bowled over by it and so i was immediately ready to dive Face first into Kurosawa's catalog that was available to me, and High and Low was actually the second Kurosawa film I watched. Um, um, I,
1: I think this is also kind of an interesting thing to kind of talk about how good this movie is. Is this movie? I it, Kurosawa likes to base his movies off of a lot of things. It seems like a lot of uh, legends or things, but this is based off of a novel that's written by the same writer who wrote The Birds. Mm-hmm. And and it's just interesting that like these two wildly famous movies for different reasons are connected by writers.
0: Yeah, yeah, and well, like this is the only, or it's either the first or the only overtly American thing mm-hmm. that Kurosawa tackled. I've never read the book, but it was it was I think it's it was written by. Ed McBain but that's a pseudonym for uh Salvatore Albert Lombino who was also known as Evan Hunter mm-hmm. um or he or uh, you know he legally adopted that name in 1952 apparently um but from what I have read about this movie specifically I think predominantly in the uh little book that came in my Criterion edition uh that all he really kept from the book was the plot but most of the most of the dialogue and everything is based on what was it was probably based more in contemporary japan contemporary japan at the time again yeah, that makes not, sense. An, not an expert there but i think all he kept was the like the plot is um high-ranking executive high-ranking corporate executive um is quietly trying to take over his own company, but he he, uh, he is confronted by other executives who want to take over the company and bring him in. Uh, but there's a disagreement on continu- on how to continue business. Uh, are we looking at are we, t- are we looking for a product or a profit? And that's the central argument in that conversation. Um, but then as he is ready to make his move, he receives a call that his son was kidnapped and is being held for ransom, 30, 30 million yen, which I think is $300,000 or uh, yeah. yeah. Um, and shortly after that, uh, it is revealed that the kidnapper uh, t- mistakenly took his employee's child and the employee in this case is his chauffeur um and now that is where the moral quandary for the main character arises and i think the the ultimate conclusion of the plot is also taken from the book but that's like it none of the it's none of the characters none of the dialogue i think i think kurosawa took a good skeleton of a story and 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 went with it yeah i agree um with uh with his writer's uh ajiro uh, Hisaita, Hideo Oguni, and Ryuzo Kikushima. And yeah, like, I, I don't wanna I don't want to just start gushing, but uh, I'd go for it. I mean this is well, what the, this podcast is for. So, so so this movie plays like a symphony to me. Like it is it is it is it is a well executed symphony in i want i mean i think there's i think there's like at least there's at least two movements but like i think you can break those down like the first hour of the movie is just in the main character's apartment the main character is his name is awesome it's kingo gondo uh that is played by the incomparable toshiro Mafuni, um and i believe the main detective that uh he works with is uh it's inspector tokura but it's played by tetsuya nakadai who was also in the seven samurai with mifune Mm -hmm. and uh now if you if you uh if you pay te- if you pay close attention, uh, one of the people who always warms my heart when I see him on the screen, Takashi Shimura shows up as the chief of the, of the investigation section. Always good to see that man's face mm-hmm. makes me so happy. Um, but the so the first movement is like all in Gondo's apartment. Now Gondo's apartment is essentially the house on the hill that overlooks the rest of are they in Yokohama? Um, I'm not sure where they're at exactly but
1: that ha- that the house being on the hill though is very important to the whole story.
0: Yes, it is it, it overlooks Yokohama and it's kind of like I think if you I mean as, as we learn throughout the film, if you kind of grow up in that section of Yokohama, it feels like a, a very looming kind of invasive presence. Uh, it also feels, Like someone is sort of lording their position over you if you grow up in that area. Um, the second movement is, I guess, the I I I, I guess uh, it is specifically like the times where you see the cops doing their work. Yeah, and then. And that's more, and, and that's more procedural where it's just predominantly you get a little bit of, you, you get cutting between brief bouts of inspection and uh briefing room in a 1950s police police station. I mean, that's um, what
1: I think I like the most about Kurosawa's crime movies. Cause this is like the, like the third kind one. I mean, drunken angel isn't really a crime crime movie, but it is about a criminal. Mm-hmm. Um, but it seems like Kurosawa really likes the idea of let's let's actually investigate. Let's do some investigation work. Yes. And let's and let's spend time not knowing the answers, but finding the answers, where a lot of I think modern mystery movies kind of spoon-feed you these answers.
0: Or or they're they're going to deliberately like skirt the details to sort of do the whole gotcha at the
1: end. Yeah. It, it feels like as an audience member in a lot of mysteries, you don't earn the reveals as like, you're not actively paying attention and working to be like, Oh, I mean, I think that's why not, like knives out was such a breath of fresh air when it comes to mystery movies. It's like, by the time the reveals could start coming out like, Oh yeah, of course
0: that all makes sense. Right. And like, I mean, knives out is kind of, it's one of those where the audience can start to piece the audience. If you're actively paying attention you play a part in sort of piecing it together. Yeah. Like you're, you're you're definitely watching Daniel Craig do a wonderful job as a detective, but the, the speed at which the audience and the characters are getting the information specifically in that film, it feels there's a certain camaraderie the audience can feel with the characters. And I feel that here too. I also like the way um, Tokura played by Nakadai sort of, displays his intentions and reasons for the intentions so everyone's not going why don't you just why don't you just yeah yeah um and uh and then the i think the final movement is when actually no we could probably do a third and final movement the third is when the cops are uh fully immersed in they're they're doing they're doing the tailing and stuff yeah they're they're fully immersed in the underbelly of i think it's yokohama but uh i'm just gonna say the city that they're in and they're they're tailing who they who they believe is the culprit and the final movement is uh the briefest but it's a wonderful scene between toshira mufuni and the culprit
1: yeah i i I agree with you kind of it does play like a symphony in a lot of ways um another thing about this just being a great uh procedural crime a crime procedural is a lot of times too and like i think about seven in this um is like watch seven and watch zodiac right and Mm -hmm. seven is a made-up movie where zodiac is i mean it's fictionalized a bit but it's it, it, it is like the true true is you can get story about the Zodiac killer. Sure. And as far as hard of those detectives work, a lot of the cops around them don't care or they're not doing their job right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And but with seven and with this movie, like you actually get to see these police be what our, our idea of police are. That makes yes. sense. Like the the idealism of police, and that's that's honestly really enthralling. The watch. I mean, you could. There's an argument to be made about copying and stuff, but I think with with movies that are genuinely tr- trying to show detectives and police forces doing right by people and doing their job properly, investigating properly. There's something kind of heroic about that, and you can feel it in this movie. But these, especially in in the second and third acts where the cops are actually on the trail and they're starting to make progress on things. They're starting to find leeway. Um, I think about the train scene, which is a great scene in itself for a lot of different reasons, yes. but the smartness of these cops to be like, let's film it on the front and the back. We know where he's going to drop it. That Like mm-hmm. like, like, like but we're going to be out of sight. So they doesn't know that we're like, all of that.
0: It's just really brilliant stuff. Oh yeah. I mean, even when they're, um, when they're, when you're still, when they haven't left Gondo's apartment yet, or I say apartment, cause it looks kind of like an apartment, but it's, it's, it's a house. Um, when the, when the cops are trying to, they're trying to record the calls and try and get a, get a lock on the location and the kidnapper has, has kept them at bay because they keep, they keep needing like just a couple more seconds on the phone. Um, but the next day when the kidnapper calls and says, okay, this is what we're gonna do. Have you decided that you're gonna pay me? Um, he's like, hey, wait a minute. It's the middle of the day and you have your, you have your curtains, you have your curtains shut. Now, I get you know having the window shut because you have your nice fancy air conditioning. Meanwhile, the rest of us are stuck down here in hell because it's just a cauldron of heat and sweat. Like why why not have your curtains open and then all of a sudden the cops have to like make sure that they are completely out of (laughs) completely out of sight they get they have to get into awkward positions get under couches or no under tables you know around couches so they're they're obstructing themselves from view and I think that while it seems kind of something out of a Looney Tunes short like it's also very like. If I if if this if this kidnapper has been watching his target, clearly he's, you know, investigated enough to where he he knows he will be able to sort of see when when something is amiss.
1: I uh, I think another uh, thing about just how
0: smart this movie is
1: because uh, I mean that's really sorry for anybody that wanted to hear us complain about anything about this movie. We're just gonna talk about yeah. it's really smart. Um, the misdirect at the very beginning, right? Like uh for anybody who like kind of doesn't know what we're talking about. Sometimes we play these like everybody's watched the movie, but sometimes we should probably clarify what uh the movie's about. Sure. It's about a kidnapping, mistakenly, uh kidnapping a, uh uh character mm-hmm. is a high executive in a shoe company and his yes. son gets they think his son gets kidnapped, but it's actually a show for son that gets kidnapped. I, yes. After I watched this, I was just racking my brain around it. There's some crime show that did the exact same plot. I cannot remember where it was. I I got Nash Bridges, but that is not the one I'm thinking of. <laughs> uh, I know I've seen it probably because my sister watched a ton of Nash Bridges, but that is not the that is not the one I'm thinking of. Um, but this this movie opens up with. with mafudi's character being offered to go in with three other executives and kick out the president of the company because these other executives think that they could do the job better and mafudi kind of agrees but he wants to be the next president because he thinks he can make shoes better than everybody Mm -hmm. and if you were watching this movie straight you don't know anything about this movie you think that one of the executives set up this kidnapping. Oh yeah. Like 100%. honestly, it,
0: it had been, it had been, it had been at least, I, I think it's been six years since I've actually watched this movie and starting this movie, I'm like, I'm waiting for one of them to be revealed as, as, as the kidnapper. yeah. Cause I just, it gets you that way. It does it every time. And because, but, because it's done so well. But
1: the, the smart thing is not just that misdirect that it's not even that has anything to do with that. It's that, that plot line still matters. Because I think there's a lot of crime dramas that do that, where it's like, oh, you think this is about this, but turns out it's about something else completely. That initial red herring though, doesn't even matter in this movie. Well, the whole idea of the executives though, and the whole power struggle there still plays into this. Cause when Funi has to give all that money away, guess what guys, he loses his job. He loses that power because he did the right thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and And I I think that in itself, the bringing back that red herring to still be a key part of this plot, a key part of like journey in this movie um, is maybe, maybe the smartest part of this whole movie. Yeah,
0: no, 100%. Well, it's just, I I think, I always forget, like for, for loving this movie as much as I do, the amount that I forget about it um, because it's one of the it is one of those films that if you're not if you're not in it, you're just not in it. Yeah. Whereas, and this is why I prefer, this is why like I could switch this out with it with Ikiru. Um like Ikiru is kind of a a universal message, whereas high and low is kind of a you're making you're making a game time decision. And a game time decision isn't always the universal. Now, Kurosawa, in this case, writes a very universal idea here, but because it's wrapped in a very of the moment, not a, of it's like of the moment. While watching the film, while it's that, rather than not everybody's rich and going to have their 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 child mistakenly kidnapped. So it's not all. It's not always the it's not always the gut check that Akiru is. Yeah. But Mifune, when he real, when he finds out that it's not his kid, like he is, he is immediately like a corporate asshole. He, he just falls right into it. It's like, oh, not my kid, not my problem. Yeah. But then, but then like all of a sudden he starts to see like the human consequence of what's going on in front of them whereas I, I feel like if it were any of the if it was if it were any of those other three asshole executives like they would have just gotten up walked out of that room and said like "Can't do nothing for you man um like the the money doesn't work for me like that i could see i could see each and every one of them but he listens to he listens to his employee, <laughs> he listens to his wife, and while his lip service is saying "Nope, I, I have to, I have, I have to stand fast," otherwise I lose everything. Um, and when the and when when the cops actually bring him in and say, "Look, we want you to at least say you're going to pay," otherwise we can't solve this. Yeah, and then. When, he, when he, he says that, and then just without even being asked, he starts calling the bank. He says, here's what the, and he starts going over the demands of the kidnappers. So, you know, the money is satisfactory. So they're not, so they don't feel like they're being caught. And then it's like really subtle and not really stated, but the temperature in this in this wonderfully black and white film changes the
1: completely. this wonderfully black and white film that has color once in the whole entire movie
0: i mean i was going to i was going to get there but thank you for oh, spoiling sorry. it no sorry. i'm kidding <laughs> um <clears throat> now actually you can you, since, since we're there like it does you it when they are when they have decided to pull uh, a sly chess move on the kidnapper. Um, I don't remember why the pink smoke comes out of the. I don't remember why there's the pink smoke. It's because he's burning the bags, I believe. I, I mean, it, so it, so it's the bags. And Now, is it the powder they put in the bags? I believe so. Okay.
1: okay. And, but the th- but the thing is, like, it's so odd that that's the one choice of color that first off tells you you could have made this whole film in color, probably, but. Like, it's such an odd odd idea that, like, you can't just show the smoke and people just like understand that's the color that they're looking for. It's just a very odd choice because there's other moments where, like, you could do the color there, that would have been way more impactful. But, um, I, I, it's not really a complaint, it's just odd. This is an odd choice to me.
0: Um, I like the choice personally because, in that scene, I, I think, it, I think, I mean, ultimately, it's it's a leading choice because yeah. because when you cut to the tower and the smoke you're you're immediately looking for it and i'll be honest with you probably like the last time probably like the first time i watched this i'm like oh it's actually pink now i now my brain while watching it did not think well why did you just make this whole movie in color um but you know once the credits all, i'm like yeah why didn't he but ultimately, it, I think ultimately, I think it's I think it's the correct call. Yeah, I agree.
1: Also, it's weird that this movie was supposed to deter kidnappings and it just made him more popular. <laughs> and Kurosawa's daughter got threatened to be kidnapped before. It's I mean that's sad, but I'm just saying in general, it's, yeah. like, it's just kind of funny how that stuff works out. Um, yeah, because there's a lot of movies where that that kind of happens where people think one thing's going to happen with the release of the movie and the opposite happens. Yeah. Um well, the, what was the movie I was just watching? Where or, or someone's talking about that, like, everybody's like, Oh, yeah, this is gonna just rile everybody up. I can't remember. Oh, do the right thing. I was watching, do the right thing this week. We'll talk about that later. Um, oh, yeah, <laughs> but yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh man,
0: <laughs> I rem- Okay, yeah, let's talk about that later. Yeah, we can talk, um, about,
1: we can talk about that when we watch, talk about the stuff we watch later. But um, go ahead. Continue. There, I had one more thing I want to talk about, really, with
0: this. Um, what was it? I'm trying to remember now. Well you go with your thought while well, I'm trying to remember mine. So I mean once once this starts happening once once the pink smoke happens, like it's nothing. It, it's essentially a chase yeah. to, to the end of the movie. Like they, they are they have figured out that their their kid their kidnapper is on the run. They just have to find out who the person is.
1: The, so the, they can...
0: the one thing that the cops do that like is like the
1: most cop thing is like we have to see him get someone else high to know that this is the guy
0: yeah well i think that i think they're i think they're i think they're um they, they wanted to get him on the the maximum sentence yeah yeah so unfortunately uh so when they find out where the kidnappers were um because uh shinichi the kid who actually got kidnapped uh his father which I don't remember his, I don't remember his character's name. Aoki. Uh Aoki was basically badgering his son while the cops were questioning him to try and remember everything, to try and give as much help as possible because he he genuinely did not want um Gondo to I don't want to say be I don't want to say become poor because I don't think. I think there's there, there the idea is that Gondo becomes poor, but I ultimately do not think he does. Yeah. Um, but like they were trying to basic, like Gondo put his money on the line to save Shinichi and uh, Aoki wants Shinichi to remember as much as possible to help Gondo. Uh, when they find the kidnappers and they realize the kidnappers have also been killed yeah um and when i th- i find it funny the scene where tetsuya nakadai is talking with a whole room full of reporters going hey y'all i need you i need i need you to i need you to not print this because here's what i'm doing i'm just like man i feel like you were just putting way too many the book yeah table. the boldness of that <laughs> yeah, i'm just like i'm just like you know i thinking in terms of uh 2022 like this like that whole scene if that were to happen in a police station today that wouldn't show up on some outlandish conspiracy site like cops conspire to you know it would it would just be it would just be blown out of proportions meanwhile it's just a, it's just here it's just a conversation between a bunch of dudes just Having, having a having a laugh at the expense of at the expense of a murder or a yeah. kidnapping investigation, which also becomes a murder investigation at this point. Yeah um, and that is where you, we get uh, we get the I want to get I want I don't want this guy to get justice but I want him to get the most justice because we believe he killed these two to sort of bury his connection to it and if we can if we can sort of get him to do it again we can we can get him on the maximum sentence yeah now abstractly that seems that seems like it seems like just good strategy but when you think about the fact they're like they want to put another person in the ground when two people have already gone down and a family has it has uh, been inflicted with some trauma, as well as the uh, downfall of. I think the easy way to say it is one of one of the good corporate guys, but we all know at heart that there really aren't any. But they try and make a. They Kurosawa makes it makes a a good leading man out of Gondo. Um, the implications of all this are just way more nefar- way more nefarious, um, and it's just like we're applauding this, like he we want we want him to kill one more just so we can get him. Uh, I guess just... it, it. I think for me,
1: yeah, that's like that's the plot. That's the biggest plot thing that I struggle with the most, and it's yeah. not because it's wrong. It's just it's so dark. Yeah. In a movie that yeah. in a movie that does deal with dark things, but it tends to play them pretty light overall. Mm-hmm. Um. That, that that's definitely a rough scene, and like the whole the whole idea of it's rough. Um,
0: yeah, and then when they go into when they go into, uh, what is termed Dope Alley, and you just see the effects of heroin. Yeah. Uh, folks.
1: I I do like, and I wish there was a little more of this, but maybe it's because of the time. I mean, this came out in 1963. We weren't Mm -hmm. even in the 70s yet when this movie came out. Yeah. Um. The idea, though, at the end, the the reason the criminal did all of this is because he he watched uh character tower over him forever, Mm -hmm. and that that just and like seeing him like while he's cold at night and he's trying to barely hold on and survive, he just sees Gondo's a mountainside mansion and just gets insanely jealous and decides, you know what? I'm going to take something from you because that's all I, that's the only power I have. Mm -hmm. It's a very emotional scene. It's a very good scene. And it's interesting because Gondo doesn't, other than losing like his position, even though he ends up technically in maybe a less paying position, but a better position because he gets to do what he wants to do.
0: Exactly. And in
1: the public eye, he is a hero, and that company is now being like basically thrown under the bus because they fired him. Um, yep he he comes out the winner of this while still like these these poor these these, these poor people have to like watch him be rich for forever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and it's one of those things where like if this was made maybe ten years later. Or um, as Corsese kind of wants, to, he's still trying to remake it now. Like yeah. that that might be a harder punch, but I still think it's a pretty good
0: punch. Oh, 100%. Um, I mean, I think you, you're right for the time like this is a this is a, a very good punch. And, um, yeah, it's, it's it's a very it's a very, uh, it's one of those things. I, I can't articulate how I feel about it. Other than saying it's a very good punch, because I've, I don't want to say I've been in that position because I, I ultimately like I did not grow up in uh, a pop in a poverty section of a city. I just yeah. didn't, but also I have been the person who's had to look up at, you know, uh, a boss in a corner office Who had no problem, you know, signing the people that were hired on their watch to not be not be in a job anymore. Yeah, I've had to uh, watch. Like, I mean, at my current my current job now, I'm a radiologic technologist at a major hospital in Philadelphia, and I've had to watch, and through a pandemic, as the executives really haven't had to be in the office most of the time. Yeah. And I've had to watch them make the decision to continue to build a skyscraper across the street. But a bunch of us didn't get raises. They got their bonus. Yeah. I I, I mean, that is, that is, that is my house on the Hill. Like that is my looming, like, you know, what the hell? Um, and I think, I think that's the core relatable aspect of the criminal here is we, if you're not dwelling in that house on the Hill, you're looking up at it and reconciling that vision. However, you know, how, however you believe it to be. And more often than not, you have a, at the very least contempt for it. I mean, I, I, and yeah, I, I, I do, I do relate to the villain in this movie. Yeah, um,
1: and I think uh, this is kind of like my last thought of this whole thing. But I think this movie, in that nuance, and, and in in like the nuance of everything that happens in this movie, and the cleverness and everything that we've talked about for the last forty minutes, um, I think that all goes to sum up that Kurosawa was way ahead of his time, but also very underrated. <laughs> Like it's hard yeah. to say it's hard to say that someone who's highly praised by directors and actors and stuff is underrated. But from the general audience who doesn't get to watch these movies, because I get it, they're hard to they're hard to digest. Like yeah. he he is he's a brilliant director who is who's well read, well thought out, and I have yet to watch a movie where I'm like, this was a misstep. And I, there's probably one out there. He directed movies till till the end of his life. So there's probably one way down the line. But these early films, man.
0: Yeah. Um I think along those lines, like uh, having read a lot of the film historian uh, Donald Ritchie, who's kind of an expert on on Japanese cinema, uh, or as I guess I'll say, as expert as a dude from the West can be. um, It's amazing to me that Kurosawa takes, he has the ability to take texts and inspiration from places that were not that i mean like with uh the lower depths it was a max it was a maxim gorky play uh with he with his movie the idiot it's based on um or no there's something he did based on the idiot uh by dostoevsky i forget what the film is called uh it might be it might just be the idiot uh with Yojimbo I believe it was it owes a lot of its debt to I forget the I forget the author's name but it's Dashiell something I don't I I don't remember the author's name but like it's not to the letter that author but it's real close I mean here with Ed McBain's King's Ransom it would be short-sighted for uh, a movie watcher like like me to say like oh well this is quintessential Japanese cinema, uh, but where there are also purists out there who will make the argument that Kurosawa fucked up um, changing the title for the West. Yeah, because the title in Japan is Heaven and Hell, and I'm not here to make that argument, but I can see I can see that side of it because the way he shoots it, like Fune's house is in heaven. There's so there's so much. When you, when he opens the drapes in his, in his house, you see a, you see a, you see a blue sky, barely a cloud in it. When you see him outside on his property, he is pushing his own lawnmower, cutting the weeds that are ostensibly reaching from below to grab pieces of his lawn. And there's like a, there's like a symbolic gesture. Like I got to keep hell off of my heaven. And then when the cops go into the deep dark depths, it doesn't just look like a city. It looks like it looks, it looks like hell. The nightclub scene is the cleanest scene in that section. And but the minute they step outside, it is, it looks like a it looks like a black and white, somehow overbearingly humid cauldron and uh and yeah like i feel like i've started and lost several points in my talk here no i get what you're saying but uh but yeah like I, there are there are I, I as someone who is an armchair film critic at best uh because uh, i'll say it i, I I don't really write film criticism, or at least I, I don't anymore. I used to for a little bit. Uh, I have tried to write on Letterboxd, but frankly, I don't just don't have the time that I, w- that I would like to devote that. But and also that doesn't really matter anyway. But if there were if there was any director that I could call a master of their craft, Kurosawa was definitely that.
1: Yeah, I agree. I should correct myself too. This is actually in the in the lower half of his career, not early. But like again, they made thirty four films. I haven't watched all of them, but I've watched. uh Let's see. Let me count. Let me count you the ways.
0: <laughs> so this is
1: my sixth out of thirty four films, and every one of them's been knockout so far. Yeah, like I haven't hit a bad one yet. And, I, and I'm like, I'm not a third. I'm almost a third of the way through it. Mm-hmm. His filmography, and again, knocking him out of the park. And a lot of the ones I have left, I know him, he's. Yeah, I mean, he's probably going to knock him out of the park because I know how much they're
0: praised. So, I mean, I've I've watched films that I've not seen all of them either. Uh, but I've watched films of his where I'm just like, kind of like, mm. but he, he's one of the he's one of those directors that you kind. Of, you kind of know it's him. Yeah. Um, I don't think his visual style is as prominent as some others I could name. Like if you if you've ever watched anything by Seijun Suzuki, like I think his visual style is more prominent than Kurosawa's, but his films are his films aren't better. Um, and I love some of Seijun Suzuki's work: "Branded to Kill," "Tokyo Drifter," uh, "Youth of the Beast." Like they're they're wonderfully deliriously entertaining films. Um, but Kurosawa's films just hit different. Yeah. Almost every time.
1: Any any final thoughts on Highland love before we move on to what we've been watching? Uh
0: the I mean, other than just saying this movie's dope and you should watch it, I don't know. I, I feel like I feel like I could probably sit back and think and come up with ways to ramble on but yeah this film is just really good
1: i agree um so should i start with what i've been watching or should you start with what you've been
0: watching um well the short answer is i've not been watching anything but i will talk about a book i've been reading tell me about it uh it is called the big picture it is by sean carroll uh it was pointed out it was it it was pointed to me uh well actually it wasn't really pointed to me I think I I saw our mutual friend and my co-host on Trivial Merit Caroline talking about it and I'm like huh that looks cool I'm gonna read that and uh yeah I'm like it's it's way big-brained and a lot for me to comprehend. I usually have to read, I usually have to read sections of it like twice because I am not a high level scientist in any sort of way. It's not really speaking in jargon or, or, or obtuse, uh, science language, but it does put forth ideas that take a little bit of, take a little bit for my for, for my uh for my slow brain to wrap itself around uh that said it's probably one of my favorite books already and i have i'm not even i'm not even one third of the way through uh but yeah i like listening to i like reading smart people talking about what what it all kind of means if we can even get there so the big picture it's a really good read
1: good i'm glad um i actually watch movies between recordings uh and it wasn't just batman though i did see batman twice in between recordings um <laughs> is that nine times now nine times i'm going i might be going for number 10 this weekend if not this hell morning. yeah um we we will have a batman episode i promise everybody that will happen oh no we will we will that's
0: not until next month because it doesn't once come it, until once, streaming. It stream- once it streams i'm watching once yeah. it streams?
1: Um, but I watched Turning Red because that's streaming. I don't know if I talked about that last episode. You, you didn't. What is Turning Red? Turning Red is the newest Pixar movie um, by the people who did the Pixar short Bow, I believe. Okay, um, it's very good. It, the Turning Red is very sweet. It's a it's a very cute movie. It's a it's a very like uh, excited movie. It's 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 a Pixar movie that I don't think we've gotten before in a lot of ways, in the sense of like how adventurous it is, but still grounded in a lot of ways. Um, Cause I think the last, I'm trying to think of the last like g- kind of grounded Pixar movie and that's Incredibles, but even Incredibles is way more elaborate than I think Turning Red is in a lot of, in a lot of ways. Um, I mean, it's about girls in, in 2002 uh, learning, like, just starting to mature and wanting to go to a boy band concert and one of them could turn into a giant panda. Like right. that, that is, that is, I think the key difference between it and all the Pixar movies this is about real, real experiences that people feel not uh, put into like random characters or into a dinosaur or to uh, any of these things. And so I think that's really fun. And I think that uh people who don't like this movie uh i don't don't really have a soul in that way um so yeah i I did watch that um other movies i watched i watched loma sunshine
0: had you ever seen that before
1: i hadn't but i saw i saw the batman with one of my close friends Mm
0: -hmm. and
1: she was like you know paul dano in this one scene (laughs) reminded me of his character in loma sunshine so i had nothing to do the next day and i'm like well, she mentioned Paul Dano and Little Miss Sunshine, and that's streaming on Amazon right now. I guess I'm watching
0: <laughs> Little Miss Sunshine.
1: Yeah. It's pretty charming. I did not know Steve Carell's in that movie.
0: Yeah, that was, pr- I think that's pre-40-year-old Virgin.
1: Yeah, I think it's around Office, maybe it's 2006. But um, as much as that movie's charming and a lot of like really interesting things, it stinks of mid-2000s indie movie. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, uh, oh It's God, like yeah. peak of that. Uh, in a yeah. lot of ways, like dialogue and like the, the music choices and the way shots are framed is very peak
0: that, but it's still pretty charming. Well, I also think that's the one that sort of, like, I think that was the one that got Oscar attention as yeah. well at the times, while, you know, there were other movies of, of of that ilk, like Wes Anderson had been doing that shit for years. Um, but I think this was, it was, I don't remember if it was before, it might've been after Juno, as well which was also that like it was just it, it was a it was, there was a lot of that happening um and you're right Middle, little miss sunshine is very charming i think it's a, i think it's a good movie. i think there were other movies that did that better yeah. but that one is that movie is not bad at all
1: um and then i watched do the right thing which we mentioned briefly how how good is this movie it's just it's fantastic
0: Yes, <laughs> it it is. It is. It's heartbreakingly hard, good.
1: Yeah, as hard as it is to watch, especially the third act, it is, it is fantastic. It's one of those things where, like, I think a lot of people, and by a lot of people, I mean people like the, the people I live with, um, see Spike Lee's name and go, "Oh, it's that guy that always has to talk about race in his movies." But "Do the Right Thing" is so special because it shows that everybody is prejudiced but it's, mm-hmm. it, but it, but it's some groups that get hit the hardest with it. Yep. Um, and I, and I, I like, I think it's, I think it's really well done and I think it holds up pretty dang well for being gosh, 23 years old at this point. Yep. No, 33 years, 33 old. years old. Yeah. Yeah. It holds it holds up very well. I think the, I think the one thing that does not hold up is Spike Lee's performance in the movie. He is the more wooden of all the actors in that movie
0: yeah <laughs> yeah I
1: I mean,
0: a young martin lawrence in that movie though young a martin young, lawrence young, young john Giancarlo. carlo john carlo esposito's in it yeah. like uh rosie perez i think isn't tisha Campbell in that no that's i'm thinking of school days uh samuel L. jackson as yeah. the radio dj bill Nunn, a lot of, lot of people in that movie danny aiello <laughs> um that not john tutorial but the other brother
1: yeah yeah he was
0: also he was also in he's also been in a ton of movies as well but he, i think he was more known as uh at that point he was known as bruno kirby's little sidekick in good morning vietnam um yeah it's a, it's a stellar movie a stellar movie
1: um i also watched jonah hex a 2010 superhero movie that as i was watching i'm like man this movie seems oddly rushed i wonder why and then i read a little tidbit that said like 66 pages were redone in like three days like shot read 66 pages of the script were reshot in like two to three days jesus yeah Um, so that's a bad movie. We're going to be talking about more on the Patreon bonus episode, so I won't give too much away so you guys can subscribe and listen to that. But, uh, yeah, it's it's not a good movie. (laughs) It's not not good. Uh, I did not have fun watching it. It's only an hour and like 20 minutes. It feels like it's three hours. Yeah. Um, so it's rough. Uh, then I watched
0: Casablanca to kind of wash the <laughs> wash wash the filth out of my mouth. Um,
1: yeah, I saw
0: I saw your tweet about this. Had you never seen Casablanca? Never before? seen it. I've
1: seen okay. um, Key Largo, and I've seen Maltese Falcon. So I've seen like the other two pretty big Bogart noir movies. In like, but I never saw Casablanca. And Casablanca is very much like Key Largo in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think Cas is better than Key Largo in a lot of ways.
0: Oh sure. Um, yeah.
1: I think there's a charm to this that Key Largo is missing because Key Largo is a very much darker story, especially in this in that second to third act. Um, but man, it's just it's non-stop, man. Nonstop does that movie like just make you feel happy
0: inside, even though it's really sad. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so yeah that Bergman in that movie is just to die for. So that, that's all i am watching. Um what are we watching next uh we haven't talked about that but i also i can i can mention that uh we started watching the sopranos Uh, how's that um so my history with the sopranos i've never seen i'll say i've never seen it i've tried to start it three or four times and every time i get through the first episode i'm like oh yeah this is why I don't like this shit. Um, uh, and, and it's, it's stupid, but as a healthcare worker, when you see healthcare stuff handled in the absolute garbage way possible on screen, it's really offensive. Um, and you know, and, and when, now that I'm married to a psychotherapist, when I see, when I hear, uh, Tony Soprano say, well I did half a semester at college so I understand Freud. Yeah. So, yo. <laughs> yo, that's not Oh man. <laughs> but uh the the part that the part that just hits me where I live is when Tony Soprano goes to it goes to have an MRI and his wife just walks in to where he's having the MRI. I don't know what MRI was like in the 90s. I'm not going to pretend to know that I was not a healthcare worker in the nineties, but from what I know now, there's a reason they don't shut MRIs off. And it's because it is my understanding that it is a difficult thing to not only turn off, but to also get back on in a way that is timely. Yeah. Like, and Edie Falco is just there jewelry on purse on her arm. Like you're, you're that close to an MRI when it's not going to be like a, it's not going to be a Looney Tunes getting sucked into a black hole or anything like that, but all of that is going to be pulling towards the magnet and depending on how ready you are for that, it's a pretty, it's a pretty big jerk. uh, And if you have any credit cards at that time, anything that is magnet sensitive, like, I mean, I know it was in the 90s, not everybody had a cell phone, but like her credit cards ruined. Uh, If if she had uh, like a calculator in her purse, ruined, doesn't work anymore. Like anything with electronic components, you put around a magnet, you basically can wipe it clean. Uh, And that is if you're not getting pulled into the magnet while you're standing there. Uh, So I was just like, I'm, I'm sitting there during that scene being the insufferable person going, why are they letting this happen? You should see me when I watch ER and I see an upside down <laughs> x-ray. Yeah, like, um, that's not how that works. I'm I'm quite
1: delightful. Which is funny because ER was like originally like, this is what hospitals are like. No, it is not. (laughs) I can can tell as someone who works in an ER, it is not like that. Matthew, Uh, it's your your turn to pick the movie. So, what are we watching next?
0: Oh, geez. Um. uh, Oh boy, I, 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 I. I... We're gonna, we're gonna take some time, Jesse, and we're gonna cut this time out because uh, I have not prepared. (laughs) So, give me a. I mean, honestly, go with your gut. I, okay well my gut is another kurosawa movie you want to do another Yeah, wow, that's fine um let's, let's do see. bad sleep well <laughs> is that streaming anymore i don't know i'm gonna find out
1: uh bad sleep well you, oh, is it streaming on criterion no but you can buy the dvd no it's streaming on criterion oh it is yeah oh there it is yes there it is
0: well yeah. then there we go that's what we're watching Cool. No, another another corporate drama from Kurosawa, Let's Do the Bad Sleep Well. How long is this? Play? It is from 1960, so it was the one he did right before. Yeah, but that's not telling me how long it is. No, it is two hours and 31 minutes and three seconds. Oh, that's not too bad.
1: No. Um, yeah, so next episode, we're going to do the Bad Sleep Well, which is streaming on the Criterion channel, or maybe other places that you can find yourself. Um, yes.
0: Matthew works also. Will find, oh yeah. It is also starring Toshiro Mifune. <laughs> yes, of course it is. Uh, uh, Matthew working people find you on the internet. I can be found on Twitter at infinite underscore rewind. You can also find me hosting uh, two other or co-hosting two other podcasts. One is called Story Route Zero, where three friends and I talk about video games. Basically, it's uh, what we're playing. Uh, we try and keep up with news, but we are all just normal folks uh the other one is with jessies and my mutual friend caroline where she and i talk about music in in a way that is uh trying to make us feel better we choose a band or a style and we try and use eight songs from said band or style to get us from a negative headspace to a positive one the actual extremes of that list are decided by dice rolls Uh, our next episode uh, or at least at this point in time, it, we're we're about to record the Velvet Underground, going from anxious to content. That's exciting. All, also, um, I don't know if this will be live when this goes up, but I was invited to be part of a podcast about the video game series called Hitman.
1: Oh, that's exciting
0: it is called the bald gun guy podcast. It is put out by scanline media. Um, six Detmar is the host. Uh, the other co-host with myself is Ty, And, uh, you can follow that at bald gun guy pod on Twitter. Uh, we just d- we're doing each level of the modern trilogy, uh, as an episode. So, uh, I'm joining way into it, uh, were, they were they were already into Hitman 2 by the time I came along. We just did the Santa Fortuna level. Next is Mumbai. We'll do it monthly until the end of three, maybe more. I don't know. but that's not my call. I'm trying though. I'm just happy they I'm just happy that someone let me come on and talk about Hitman because Hitman is one of my favorite things. I'm glad you got that outlet. Me too. Um thank you, you, can find, Jesse. you can find me can on the we, everywhere. Where can we find you? <laughs> yeah, you can find me
1: everywhere at Sleeper of the Bed. You can find my other show Y Comics at Y Comics Pod. I do that with our lovely friend Hanna Kim. Uh, which you can also support this show and that show on Patreon at patreon.com slash Y Comics. Uh, we have three tiers you can choose from. One of them is producer tier, which I am going to read the two names right now that I have. Uh thank you to our Patreon producers, Anthony Greco and Patrick Moman Uh yeah. it's glad to have people wanting to support this uh if you want to hear me and hana talk movies and stuff you can find that on patreon because that's what our bonus podcast is is me and hana watching every single piece of modern superhero media (laughs) slowly um so yeah that's fun um
0: who does our theme music uh our theme music is done by my buddy jason uh, he goes by uh, Deadeye, that's D E A D I, all caps when you spell the man's name. You can find him on Spotify. His album, Bloodshed Kingdom, is out now. It's on there, it's on Bandcamp. Uh, you can also find other work that he did with in the duo, the Hope Street Steppers. They released an album in 2013 called Black Lightning. Uh, it is one of the best reggae albums I've ever heard, and I'm not saying that because they're my friends. I'm saying it because I actually believe it. You can also find Jason on Instagram at Deadeye Productions, all one word, D-E-A-D-I Productions. Support and him. He's wonderful.
1: And if you ha- if I if I haven't mentioned it yet, you can find this show on Twitter at Free Reeling, and you can email us freewheeling at gmail.com if you have any thoughts about any of the movies you watch or you want to suggest more movies for us to make sure that they're that on our radar please do and please leave a review and tell a friend if you like the show uh, that, I think that's everything I don't think I'm forgetting anything
0: I that, don't think you are either
1: um, um, so yeah don't uh, don't kidnap children but also we understand if you do <laughs> that's a bad way to end it we gotta do another take <laughs> <laughs>